It is Tuesday, April 13th. I am Guy Adami, joined as always by my dear friend. You heard it, Dan. Dear friend, Dan <laughs> Nathan. This is the Macro Setup brought to you by IGUS, one of the fastest growing foreign exchange dealers in North America. Dan, how are you? Doing well, Guy Adami. Doing well. Thank you for that uh, dear intro hey, there. I know that means a lot. Oh, by the way, I have to tease this. We're also going to be joined by Peter Hanks oh, yeah. from Daily FX. This will be his fourth time with us on the macro setup. But look, let's get into it here because as we speak, markets continue to grind higher despite some of the news we heard from Johnson & Johnson this morning. Obviously, that took a little wind out of the sales. But with that said, S&P 500 making new highs. The optimism, the euphoria to me is at all time levels. But you know what? Maybe they're right. Maybe everybody is right, Dan, Nathan. Well, it's funny. We've had a couple really, uh, you'd say, econ market luminaries uh, weigh in on this over the last week or so. We saw that Jamie Dimon, that shareholder letter. I mean, he, he made it sound like, you know, we're ready for an economic boom of epic proportions that's going to kind of really uh, last through 2023. That also happens to be the date in which or the time in which uh, the Fed may start to raise interest rates. Um, we did have Fed Chair Powell on 60 Minutes. Sunday night, also saying yeah, the uh, appears was... to be at an inflection. Okay, point. so let me st- let me stop you there because yeah. I actually it's funny. I w- I like the sixty minutes. I've been watching it since it started. You know, seventy something years ago. Um, yeah. When I, I was flipping around, and when I saw that the Jerome Powell was going to be on, I'm like, th- why are they playing a repeat of his last appearance? Like, I'm like, why is why are they doing that? He wasn't on that long ago, and it turns out he was on again. I mean. What's he trying? I mean, you just wonder what he's trying to sell. Like, where, you know, they got in somebody's ear and said, listen, we got to get back on 60 minutes to tell the folks, the U.S. citizenry, what we're up to. But, you know, sometimes, Dan, I don't want to rail on Jerome Powell because it's getting boring. What I will tell you is back in the day, I had this great looking car. It looked amazing when it was washed and waxed. Nothing looked better. But when you looked under the hood, there were issues, electrical issues. I won't get into the make of the car, but let's suffice <laughs> to say it's known for the elect- electrical issues that it had. So it looks great on the outside, but it's flawed on the inside. My submission to you is, is that where we are right now? Things look great on the outside, but you look under the hood, things might be getting a little dicey. Well, I think there's two ways to think about it as it relates to the economy. And, you know, Guy, if you had listened to the 60 Minutes with Jerome Powell the other day, I mean, he echoed some things that I hear you say quite frequently on the macro setup or on CNBC's Fast Money. You know, you often say for about 30 to 40 million people in America, this feels like a depression, despite the fact stock market makes new all time highs every day, despite the fact that we've had nearly six trillion dollars in fiscal stimulus, maybe the same as far as monetary over the last, I don't know, 14, 15 months or so. Um, So he's really focused on that lower bounds of the employment you know, areas here and trying to get unemployment back to that three and a half percent where we were prior to the pandemic. So I think you guys are probably more in line in a lot of things than you think. Going back to under the hood on the markets here, you know, it's really interesting. You know, we have a chart here from Bespoke Investments. I like get into guys. it. Let's get right like into those it. Those guys, it's a six month of the SPY, that is the ETF that tracks the SPX. It's showing that from open to close, it's been up 12 consecutive 
active days, that is a record. It just shows you that there's just money coming in, despite the fact they keep hearing about money being pulled out of equities here. We're seeing this melt up. Some people would say it's on low volume. I'll just say to your point about looking under the hood of that Chevelle that you used to have. What was it like a 66 or 67 Chevelle? Um, There's some things going on. Okay. Like we're seeing some weakness in some spats. We know there's more than 400 out there looking for targets. We're looking at the pipe market. Um, although the fact there was a massive SPAC um, announced today, we're seeing some interest kind of drying up a little bit. We're seeing some of those mini bubbles that we've seen in cannabis and then also in sports betting. Both of those groups are correcting at least off 20% from their recent highs there. And then some of those pandemic winners, if you will, you know, Zoom has been nearly cut in half from its highs. So there's some stuff under the hood that doesn't really reflect, I think, these new highs every day in the S&P 500. Yeah, no question. I mean, there have been stocks. Everybody's All-American Palantir, by the way. That was a great movie. I know you were a fan. Dennis Quaid, right, yeah. Dan? Remember that movie? Okay. Now, you see, you don't want to, you just don't want to get into it. That's you know fine. funny. You know, he, he was a football player, a high school football player. I remember that. It was his breakout was, role. It was actually, he was college football player at LSU. He was the oh. great ghost, if you remember. Oh, but right. again, I, yeah. my point is Palantir is one of those companies. And it's a fantastic company. But you'd mentioned it last night on Fast Money. I think, yeah. I mean, this is a stock that's been more than cut in half from its all-time high just a few months ago. And it's actually down for the year, for whatever that uh, means. And yet there are a lot of people that have been talking what a great company is and what a visionary uh, founders group that they have, yet it still can't get out of its own way. So under the hood, there are companies like that. But then you look sort of at the shiny um, exterior, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, yeah. Google, I mean, Microsoft, those stocks continue to grind higher. So I think you know, there's certain stocks telling one story, then there are more than a few handful of stocks that are telling a much different story. But here we are, to your point, 12 days in a row in the S&P going higher, you know, record, that is extraordinary in this environment. High volume, low volume, it doesn't really matter. If you're long stocks, you're making money. Well, yeah, I think you just made a really important point, Guy, and we can wrap up the stocks. We'll do the S&P. We have a two-year chart here. But, you know, when you're talking about those mega caps, you know, they were really correcting over the last four to five months. And you saw a lot of money move into much more speculative equities. That's why I mentioned the SPACs and cannabis and sports betting. And we're going to talk crypto in a little bit or crypto-centric stuff. So the fact that money is rotating back into those mega caps, um, to me, is actually a bit defensive. So it does Mm -hmm. explain maybe why why we have the NASDAQ back at new highs. Look at this chart real quickly, though. You see the S&P 500, it just bounced off of that uptrend there and just broke out a two-year yeah. resistance. You know, look back down there at the 200-day moving average. You see that that September 2nd high, that's about 35.80. You break that uptrend. That's where we're going to the downside. Um, but let's just go to the NDX, uh, the NASDAQ 100 guy. And I'll let you speak to this. Today is the first new high in uh, a little more than two months or so. And when you look at that 200-day back at the March lows, I think it's about 12,100. Um, there doesn't seem to be a whole heck of a lot of support until you get back down there. But the question for you, after this huge rally from last month's lows, does the NDX have enough to power through, make a new range above that prior high? We're going to find out on April 28th, and I think you would acknowledge that. April 28th being the day that, you know, the four horsemen of, well, you, well, let's stand. Your MAGA trade basically is going to report yeah. on that day. I think they're all report, and I think that we're going week. to know a lot that more. That week, we're going to have that week, no, but on the we're 28th, have we're going to have, yeah. And the 28th is that one major day, which uh, that's fine. It's all good. That's the week, right? And that's what yeah. we have to be looking at. 
And maybe what, you know, you look at this chart, and I'm sure a lot of people would say that's a classic Ayadami potential double top. Maybe <laughs> it is. Or maybe we get an acceleration through one of these blow-off tops. And with every standard deviation, we continue to trade away from that 200-day moving average. Uh, the likelihood of us getting back there to me just increases. So if you're trading this, which obviously a lot of the people that are watching this are, you know, you're going to look, I think you look to that week, look to that day specifically, see what the price action is. And then you sort of set up for that potential move back down to that 12,100 or so level, which I got to believe is in everybody's crosshairs right now, Dan. Yeah, I would just mention one other point, though. Um, so you mentioned uh, Alphabet, Facebook, Microsoft, all at all time highs. You know, Amazon and Apple are the two big kahunas are about $4 trillion in market cap um, that have not made their highs. So if you see those at all time highs, you see all five of those names heading into that week that you just mentioned that they all report. That's a pretty treacherous setup for the NASDAQ 100, in my opinion. And I'm not looking for, you know, just a runaway breakout from here. But, guys, let's go to the VIX here. Um, this Please. is what I'm on. Really quickly, we talked about the stuff under the hood that people should be paying attention to as it relates to the equity markets. Do you think the VIX in the last couple of days at one-year lows down here about 17 and change, is that what is that signaling to you about complacency in the market? It signals exactly that, complacency in the market. But complacency, <laughs> that thing is complacency – has been the right attitude to have. You know, if yeah. you've getting all geared up and geeked up and riled up and scared about some of the things that I've tried to point out over the last six, nine months, one year, it's been a fool's errand, right? There's no reason to get yourself all exercised, as you will say, from time to time, yeah. because the market's bailed it out. And I think the market's come to the realization again that, you know what, we don't, the protection that everybody says we need, we don't need. And I think that's really one of the things, one of the many unintended consequences of central bank activity is they've dampened volatility. And now a lot of people are going back to that selling naked puts, the strategies that worked for so long. But you're just not getting paid, in my opinion, to put on those strategies. You're just not getting paid enough. And the risk reward is setting up against you, not for you. So, look, it's been right to be short vol. There have been periods of time where we have moved higher in a significant and precipitous way. I mean, we saw three or four times where vol went from 20 to 30 in a four or five hour period of time over the last six months. Those names seem to be long forgotten. Now, here we are with the 17 handle. There are a lot of people that I've talked to said, hey, guess what? At 17, the VIX is still expensive. We're going back to those pre-pandemic levels of 13 and a half, 14. Listen, right now, everything seems to indicate they're going to be right. But there's so many things out there to be concerned about, not least of which uh, the growing tensions between the United States and China, and oh, by the way, a situation between Ukraine and, and Russia right now that nobody's paying attention to, but maybe we should. All that being said, short vol's been the right trade, albeit for a couple moves higher. And what tells what is this chart tells me? What was support becomes resistance. You say it all the time. And that's yeah. going to come in the form of 21, which is a light years from where we are right now on a percentage basis, Dan. You know, it's funny. You just mentioned those two geopolitical hotspots, and I'll throw a third one in there with what's Throw going it in. In, in, in Iran, if you think about it. Um, and so, you know, those have been obviously fairly consistent for the last 10 years, those situations. But we've seen flare-ups in the Ukraine with Russia, and it really never moved markets one way or another. Even the stuff with China hasn't moved markets. So it's really interesting. We've spent a lot of time thinking about domestic policy. Obviously, the stuff um, related to the pandemic is global. But even now, when we're 
we're thinking about our markets and our economy, I think most investors are focused on here rather than there. So it's kind of interesting all of a sudden if we start looking outward um, again, you know, one of the first test guys as it relates to equity valuations and earnings, and we'll wrap up the equity bit here, is bank stocks. We're probably going to get 50% of the XLF reporting by the end of this week, the big ones. You know them, JP Morgan, Bank America, City, Goldman, Morgan, um, that sort of thing. And you look at that two-year chart, and you look at the fact is that the bank stocks were really at the midpoint of the two-year range when we got that vaccine news and we got the election news. This was back in like the first half of November. We see that breakout and then we see it go from 25 to 35. That's the XLF um, over the last, I don't know, four or five months or so. It's still in a really well-defined uptrend. And I guess what, what, you know, I know that you're worried about some valuations that have gotten a little stretched. You think others are a little cheap here. Um, Do you expect the banks via the XLF to break out of this uptrend in the next month or so after we get earnings? So so it's a great question. I mean, so this is what I'll say, and you've mentioned this from time to time, and you need to work for Credit Suisse, and this is not to cast aspersions, but, you know, you can speak intelligently about the loss they're going to incur off the Archegos. So let's just say it's a $5 billion loss-ish. You know, with that said, they're only going to lose like a billion and a half dollars or so for the quarter. I think my math is right. Why do I bring that up? Because it speaks to what an outstanding quarter they were on, on the verge of having. You sort of play that through and you say to yourself, the earnings for banks are just going to be off the charts. Here's my concern if there are concerns. You know, for JP Morgan, for example, at current levels, at current levels, it's trading around 2.3 times tangible book, which you're getting sort of into the nosebleed areas in yeah. terms of where we've been historically. And then you look at other banks like Citi, uh, for example, which should trade at a discount. It's trading a one-time tangible book. In my opinion, uh, if you're trading banks, which a lot of these folks are doing, you have to take a look. The first thing I look at is what is tangible book value? And then I try to put a multiplier on the back of it. Where should these stocks be trading? Listen, I think two to three to two five for JP Morgan, sort of the deep end of the pool. I think the hope there is obviously tangible book increases in a marketable way. For Citi, I think it trades anywhere from 70% of tangible book to about 1.3, 1.3 being the upper end. So that's what I'm looking for. To answer your question, yeah. I think the knee jerk might be higher in the XLF, but you've seen this time and time again. Bank earnings typically are a trade the news event, and I think that's what we're going to see again here. Yeah, definitely after that, you know, they're the early ones to report in the earnings season, and there's usually a lot of expectations about the guidance that they're going to give, especially guys like Jamie Dimon, who seem to have their finger on the pulse of not only, you know, just kind of the, the liquidity in the in the system, but also what's going on in Washington and around the world as being a global bank. Um, you know, I'll just mention this full disclosure. Like you said, I am a consultant to Credit Suisse's Technology Investment Banking Group. I have no special knowledge about what's going on at that bank, but I saw the same um, report that you did. They said they're going to take a $4.7 billion write down from their losses associated with that hedge fund blowing up. And the fact is that in the quarter, they're only expecting less than a little less than a billion dollar loss. So to your point, um, investment banking activities have been robust to say the least across the street. I'll just mention this is that the push pull that I see in this earnings season is what does the guidance look like going forward? These companies will be releasing a lot of loan loss reserves that they put in place at the beginning of last year. So that should make the numbers look a lot better. Um, but I guess, you know, the point is, is like, 
you know, credit's still pretty tight if you're a consumer, yeah. that sort of thing, believe it or not, even with rates pretty low. Um, so that's really, I think, a great test for the equity market. Let's move to crypto, Guy. This Let's move to crypto. Be- Before we get the chart up, Dan, I just yeah. say this, and I know this is going to infuriate you and yeah. probably twerk a lot of the people, but I just want to say Rex Harrison played Dr. Doolittle in the movie, if you recall, and you mentioned, uh, you said something about push me, pull you or something like that, or the push pull. Of course, yeah. you recall the push me, pull you was a sort of two-headed llama which faces in two different directions. Please continue with the Bitcoin, Dan. You don't have to indulge me anymore. What? Yeah, and I don't recall that. Um, I don't Thank think you. our viewers recall that either here. Um, I just think that that crypto, and we've been hitting Bitcoin a lot over the last few months or so, because to me, it really is one of these pockets of euphoria. I know it's an asset class that a lot of people don't understand. Maybe you and I included. I don't think for any, you know, I think we've been fairly constructive on it the whole way here. I just think that chart is pretty interesting. We've talked about it a bunch. Those peak to trough declines have gotten shallower and shallower over the course of this year as the the year-to-date gains um, are over 100%. It's breaking out to new highs today. It's held that uptrend like a boss, um, as they say. Um, so this is one into that Coinbase direct listing IPO. Tomorrow should be about a $100 billion market cap. Um, you know, that will be interesting from a sentiment standpoint to see how these trade. And I think it's really important to look at the uh, Ethereum, which is the second large, largest um, crypto out there. And this is a bit different. You know, people think of Bitcoin as a store of value. Ethereum is really this network that people are building mm-hmm. all sorts of decentralized apps on top of. And I guess the most important thing I just say right here is that, yeah, those charts look the same. You do the axes the way you want. Um, Ethereum's more than double the performance year to date than Bitcoin. And there's a lot of things going on there. We're not going to get into it. But if you look at that 200-day moving average all the way down there at 965, and here we are close to 2230, that's a long ways off, guy, Donnie. Well, I mean, I can do that, Matt, Dan. It's more than 100 percent, yeah. right? More than 100. And quickly, because I want to bring Peter Hanks in. I, I have a theory as to why this is. You know, the same people that get geeked up about stock splits and those things and what, yeah. why you see stocks move so much higher in stock doesn't make any mathematical sense, right, at, at all, if you really think about it. But I think in terms of what you just mentioned about the performance of Ethereum, I think for a lot of people out there, they look at Bitcoin at 60000 and say, hey, wait a second, that's a little expensive, but this Ethereum's 1500 Maybe I should buy some of that. Now, I know that is, if you really think it through, it's mindless in terms of the, the thought behind it. But I think a lot of that goes into play and you see it over and over again in different things that just leave you scratching your head. But for a lot of people, they say, you know what? If I like Bitcoin at 60,000, yeah. I got to love Ethereum at 2,000. And I think that's one of the forces at work. And you can at me all you want, but without question, some of that's going on, Dan Nathan. Yeah, I think there's a bit of trade school there too. Is like, you know, before um, people used to talk about, oh, I wish I could buy, you know, some uh, Amazon that's trading at 2,000 or something like that. But the fact of the matter is, you can buy fractional stairs of stocks, you can buy fractional amounts of uh, Bitcoin trading at 63,000. You don't need to buy one Bitcoin. You can buy $100 worth of Bitcoin if you want. I think that's um, really important. So don't be steered towards some sort of thing that you're not exactly want to buy. And like anything, I will just tell you this, though, that, you know, there's plenty of stuff to read on these things um, to get a sense for if this is how you want to be exposed to a new market like crypto, if it's something you've never exposed, uh, been exposed to. So you don't just have to flock to your point to the shiniest thing or the thing that you think has the best relative value based on just prices. Right, guy? 
I agree. And now it's time, Dan, because I'm trying to be very cognizant of time yeah. where we bring in the great Peter Hanks of Daily FX. He killed it in Castaway, loved him in Saving <laughs> Private Ryan. I thought Forrest Gump was his signature role. Peter Hanks, how are you today? Good guy, Dan. It's good to be back. Thank you for having me. Excited to talk you, some markets. You can tell I'm all sort of geeked up on this Tuesday morning. Dan, I can see Dan rolling his eyes. But you heard some of the commentary we had, some of the things we're talking about. I know you want to talk about gold, but just sort of before we get into gold and some of the things going on in dollar, yields are sort of the thing that everybody's on everybody's um, the top of mind, in my opinion. Here we sit, 167 or so in the 10-year um, what are your thoughts in terms of yield here as we've been sort of sideways for the last couple of weeks? Yeah, I think yields really remain the key driver behind a lot of these other markets. Uh, tech stocks, gold, U.S. dollar, uh, some of that reflation trade we've been talking about. Uh, I think Dan outlined some possible resistance around the 2 mark and then some support around the 1.5. This consolidation over the last few days has really coincided with a little bit of a consolidation in some of those reflation trades, uh, like the Exxon Mobiles, the U.S. Steels of the world. And uh, a simultaneous sort of consolidation period in gold, which is actually uh, looking pretty good relative to the last few times that I've been on, where it just can't seem to get out of its own way. So, Peter, um, yeah, we'll get to gold. Gold is a funny story, man, in the last nine you know, to 12 months here, because it, it would have been that thing. You know, I remember in the throes of the pandemic when the stock market felt like it was going to just keep you know, careening lower down there when it was down, what, 30, 35 percent in March of 2020, um, you know, gold was the trade. That, that was the thing. And you know where Bitcoin was? It was at 4,000. It was at 4,000. You could have had a Bitcoin there if you wanted, right? And now it's 60, almost 64,000. Um, so it's funny when you think about rates. And like you said, a lot of this stuff is interconnected here. Guy's been talking about that really sharp move. Obviously, we went in the 10-year from 50 basis points um, in the summer, fall to about 1% at year end. But then we went from 1 to 177 at the highs. Here we are at 166 or so. Um, what is your sense about that 2% range? I know that there's a lot of strategists out there who think that that is a lock in the near term. And then what does that mean for inflation expectations? What does it mean for gold? And then we'll segue into your gold. All right. So I think Already this morning, we saw inflation uh, come in just slightly above target in the CPI figure. Uh, that was almost disappointing, I think. I think yeah. some uh, market participants were expecting a little bit higher inflation, even above the expectation. Uh, and we saw some weakness in the dollar on the back of that. But I think two is a lock here for the U.S. 10-year yield. I just believe the uh, U.S. growth picture is is really remarkable. Um, we're seeing across the board in measures of not only hard economic data like GDP and uh, you know regional manufacturing data, but also more soft measures like consumer confidence. Uh, in those consumer confidence readings, inflation has always been very, very high on the expectation list, uh, much more so than anything that we're actually seeing palpably in some of this data. So I think ex inflation expectations are going to continue to remain pretty lofty, but uh, U.S. growth will then follow suit. And I think the U.S. 10-year yield will kind of follow there nicely. Uh, of course, it is important to remember that during this whole time, just about every Fed member out there has come out and said, you know, we're not even going to talk 
about tapering. And if we do begin to talk about tapering, we're going to let you know months and months ahead of time. Uh, we have Jerome Powell on 60 Minutes saying much of the same. So they are running full court press. We have a ton of other Fed members coming up uh, later today and later this week. I would not be surprised if they also come out and say tapering is nowhere near uh, what we're thinking about right now. They keep saying that and then rates keep going higher, right? And so I think, do you want to jump in here and just say, what do you think the risk is of that? I mean, that's exactly, I mean, they could say all they want. I mean, the market controls rates. I mean, they might like to think they control rates and to a certain extent they control a front of the curve. I know Peter knows this. I mean, he's not suggesting otherwise, and but they can't job on the rest of it. And the market's basically doing their job for them. Or, you know, so we'll see what happens. You know, there'll be people say the Fed's behind the curve. Well, they're always behind the curve. I just, this, this time, they're so, they got this thing so ass backwards, it's scary. Pardon me for the use of a vernacular, Peter. But, the, you know, all this leads back to um, the conversation about gold. And it's fascinating to me. You know, if again, you told me all the things were going to take place over the last nine, 12 months, and you'd said, okay, guy, where's the price of gold? I'm like, 2,500 easy, if not a 3,000 handle. Yet here we are, me, you know, sort of meandering uh, sideways to lower over the last six months. You brought a chart. We're looking at it now. Give us your thoughts on where gold is headed. Yeah, so you're absolutely right. I would expect it to be higher too, given everything that's happened over the last nine months. That being said, it actually does look the most constructive, the most encouraging that it has in a few months, in my opinion. We have a potential double bottom here around support, uh, around that descending trend line on the lower side of the channel. So if you're a technical trader, this is probably looking a little bit better than if you're a fundamental trader. And if you're a fundamental trader, you're more so waiting for maybe some follow through on the yield side of things or on the US dollar. But technically here, uh, that double bottom and then the moving up to the top side of that recent range where we've kind of been consolidating. What you're looking for now, if you're a gold bull, is some really convincing price action pushing through resistance uh, with some follow through. But a move like that is going to be pretty difficult to establish given some of the seasonal trends we're seeing in volatility and price action. Uh, you guys were talking about it on the equity side of things, the VIX dropping down to 17, volume on the S&P 500 pretty low. So I suspect a lot of those same market forces are at play here in gold, which yep. is going to make it hard to have a convincing you know, punch through resistance uh, with some follow through here. But if you are a gold bull, uh, this is probably the best it's looked in quite some time, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I guess the issue here is that if you're a gold bull, you look like Guy Adami, you got a receding hairline, you got hair coming out in places <laughs> that you don't really want here. And that's about it, because Bitcoin has taken over whatever luster gold used to have for those inflation fears. Um, hey, let's move to the dick to the US dollar. Wait a second. Yes, let's move. But I mean, I can't just let that. It happens. Sorry. It happens. Okay? okay. It happens. You All get right. to my age, it happens. Please right. continue. I just wanted to be very clear about that. So, so Peter, you have a great chart here on the U.S. dollar index. Speak to this. That trend line off of those lows is pretty impressive. But now it's like really it's bounced a little bit. It got rejected there. Past support is now resistance, right? Guy Donnie says it all mm-hmm. the time. Where's the Dixie going? Is it going to get rejected and then head back towards 88? Yeah, it's tough. So with the gold conversation, you can't get any gold strength, I don't think, with conviction without dollar weakness. And that's why it's pretty important that the Dixie is actually beneath this rising trend line from 2011. So we've seen a little bit of consolidation, a little bit of a move higher here. You could almost argue that's a bear flag. Uh, 
running into the lower side of that trend line here. If we do back off that trend line and back down to potential support, then I think the 2018 lows are really the next area to watch for the next cycle lower, or the next leg lower, however you want to uh, phrase it. I tend to favor dollar weakness here. Uh, there are some pairs that are maybe a little bit more enticing for dollar weakness than others. I think one of those pairs is cable. Uh, so the British pound versus the US dollar. My next chart I brought here, now looking at a daily chart. Again, riding this uptrend here, keeping that trend line intact, kind of similar to the rising trend line we've seen on the S&P 500 and the Dow Jones that's just been uh, you know, bouncing off those pandemic lows. It has kept above that. You could almost argue the consolidation we've seen uh, over the last few weeks now is moving into somewhat of a bull flag uh, formation if you're more on the technical side of things. Uh, so I think crucially, Pound will really have to hold this uptrend here. And if you are looking for dollar weakness, I think uh, cable is a pretty enticing option as there's uh, a plethora of support pretty close to the current spot price. Yes, I love I love say. Peter dropping cable, man. That is so, yeah. so good. I mean, that is old school, man. It's like 80s stuff right there. And then, listen, I know Dan wants to jump in, but I'm going to jump in for you, Dan. <laughs> Next chart is the euro. I mean, you can't, you can't go cable without this going broader base euro here. Absolutely. And again, we've seen some consolidation, a little bit of a move lower. The euro is like something 57, 58% of the Dixie. So you can't get any dollar weakness without euro strength. And I outlined cable as an encouraging pair. I'm a little bit dubious on the outlook for the euro here. And that's why I kind of believe in broader dollar weakness coming up. But uh, if we are going to get any sort of dollar strength, it'll have to occur here on the euro as well. So we broke that consolidation pattern, that uh, descending wedge, moved up to the top side, lack of conviction. We're already kind of stumbling, moving into more consolidation. I've added a little uh, rectangle up there for the next area of potential resistance. That's around 120. But after such a, such a long descending wedge like that and a lack of follow through, I'm not too encouraged on the Euro picture right now. Uh, I suspect we'll move lower before we move higher here. Well, just to sum up Peter's thoughts, the gold chart looks the best it's looked in quite some time. I happen to agree with you there. Dollar weakness, he favors. He thinks potential to trade down to that eight, 2018 low, which in the Dixie, I believe, is around 88 or so, and I'm with you on those fronts both. Mm -hmm. And I want to thank you, Peter Hanks, my bad jokes notwithstanding, for joining <laughs> us once again on the macro setup. You can catch Peter on Daily FX for sure. Follow him on Twitter. Dan, you there? I'm still here, Guy Dami. 30 minutes goes by like this. You want to sort of give us some closing thoughts? Yeah, I think this is going to be a really interesting couple weeks for the stock market. And I think there's other things that are going to take their cues off of it. Um, I would be very interested to see if we were to have a decline in the S&P 500. It feels like we're pretty close. This runaway breakout is running on fumes here. I want to see how Bitcoin acts, especially on the week where Coinbase came. Listen, Coinbase is coming public. It's going to be listed on the NASDAQ. It's going to have a bigger market cap than Goldman Sachs. Okay, so these are the sorts of things that you start thinking about how to market Markets top out. How does sentiment top out? That sort of thing. These are the things you want to keep an eye on. So that's what I'm focused on this week. See, I would have gone with running on empty. Then I would have brought in Jackson Brown, that great album that he released. I want to say 1974. You didn't do it. So you didn't team me up to do it, which is unfortunate. But this has been 
the macro <laughs> setup brought to you by our presenting sponsor, IGUS, one of the fastest growing foreign exchange dealers in North America. I want to thank Peter Hanks again. And Dan, I want to thank you for sort of tolerating me for these last 31 minutes. <laughs> Thanks, Guy. See you next week, folks. Thanks for listening to the podcast version of The Macro Setup. If you liked what you heard today, subscribe in podcast stores so you never miss an episode. We'll see you next week.